continue our series of life together, talking about what it means to be in community. And it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. And we're going to be looking at hospitality within this whole theme of life together. When we think of hospitality, we think of private dinners where we host friends and family, people that we know. Or we think of restaurants and hotels, people that are professional at serving up delicious meals and exquisite service, all for those who can pay. How about you? When you think of hospitality, how would you rate yourself in your gift of hospitality, in your ability to provide hospitality? But hospitality is so much more than things I mention. And a particular story that comes to mind is when I was about seven or eight years old and at our local grocery store with my mom. And I don't know if you have a mother who does this and have had to grow up this way, but my mother loved chatting up strangers at the grocery store. She would see someone else holding a product in the aisle she's in and then walk over to them and just ask them, oh, what are you going to make with this? And get these random recipes or ideas. She was very creative. And so that meant that when we went home, sometimes, other than our traditional Korean dishes, which she also made, she would come up with some random concoctions. And I distinctly remember, like we ate some really weird stuff, but there was one time that there was a distinctly green rice dish. It was like, and it was kind of gloppy too. So we just had this bowl of very green rice with some veggies and whatever, and it was like alien food, um, and it did not taste very good. But usually it was good, but that time it wasn't. And so here we were again at the grocery store in this aisle, and I'm just sitting behind, you know, standing behind that cart waiting for her to be done with another conversation. And she's talking to this lady who looks like she could be a teacher of mine at a local, the local school. And they're talking away, and then in the midst of the conversation, the woman looks over at me and notices me and says, oh, is this your daughter? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then, oh, what's your name? And she addresses me in the midst of her conversation. And I was really reluctant to tell her the answer because I hated my name. My name, Helen. I have an older sister, four years older than me, whose name is Christiana. Listen to the way it rolls off your tongue and how long it is. She, my sister had these long, this long name that had so many letters and it sounded so elegant. And mine was just Helen. Like a word, a name that you could just say it in a couple of sec seconds and it's just death. And it's just five letters. And at school, it was just like H-E-L-E-N, Helen. Boring. And so I looked at her and said, my name is Helen. And then her response was just so surprising to me. I was so reluctant to share this information. And she looks at me, she goes, oh my goodness, do you know what your name means? And apparently because of some family member of hers who had the same name, she knew the meaning of my name. And I said, no. And she said, your name means light. And that moment in that grocery store is one that I have never forgotten. You know, in that instant, my awful name that I hated being given, that I did not know why I was being given, suddenly had meaning. That God had given me a name that meant light. And I loved my name. I still don't like how short it is and that I don't have a lot of letters in it. But I do really love the meaning of my name. And this stranger who took the time to engage my mom in conversation, share a recipe, and then also included me, she made space for me. 
and that space has been transformative for my life. So this morning we look at hospitality and what it truly means. Is it just for those we know? Is it for those who can just afford a service of being served? Or is it something more? Let's pray and we'll dive into God's word this morning. Father, we come before you and we long for a true life together. We want to be a church not just in name, not just in the place that we gather or watch online, but a church in how we live. And so God, today through this word, we just pray that we would encounter you, that we would encounter your hospitality and what it truly means. And we lift this all up in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So today we look at the verses Romans 12, 9 to 13, to look at what hospitality means. And to give us some context, this chapter, chapter 12, provides a shift in this book suddenly. It goes from all the chapters before where Paul is just giving instruction after instruction, and suddenly the tenses in the words used here move to the imperative. And there is exhortation after exhortation, command after command. Paul is moves energetic, like almost, it sounds so like scattered, these sharp points of This is how we need to be. This is how we need to live. And it's very dynamic. And the very beginning of this chapter, Paul talks about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Not a sacrifice that, you know, is slaughtered and offered once and say, yes, I'm yours, God. But a living sacrifice, one that is offered again and again. And as we look at the beginning of these verses, let love be genuine. This love, and we see in all the actions that follow, is one that is a lifestyle of being a living sacrifice, where we offer this love not once, not occasionally, but again and again and again. Just look at how many verbs are in this as we read it together. This is, love and action is what we're called to, living sacrifice. So let's take a look at these verses. It says, let love be genuine, Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verb, 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 verb. You know, there's constant action we're being called to. And I think we're going to stay with this last word here, hospitality, because I believe it wraps up this paragraph very well with a picture of what it means to have genuine love, unfeigned love, uh, a love without hypocrisy. That's not just a bunch of Hallmark cards that sound nice, but it is lived out and embodied. The word hospitality, if we look at and break it down, has two parts. It's made up of two Greek words. First one is phylos, which is affection, and the type of affection it's calling for is a friendship kind of love, one that wants to know you, be with you, enjoy you, and xenos, stranger. So really, hospitality is not what we think of it today, which is, um, yeah, a curated service that we pay a lot of money for, or a dinner that's just for, you know, our family and friends. But literally, the word of hospitality means affection, friendship affection for the stranger. 
That's challenging, isn't it? I'm going to look at three key points today about hospitality and what this affection for the stranger really means. And the first is this. Hospitality is making room and offering space for strangers. We're to invite the other in, not other one another. Growing up in our city and I'm sure around the world today because it's just been, it's just a, a crazy place we live in, we're taught as children, don't speak to strangers. And this is good reason. You know, we have heard story after story and there's good reason to warn our children or be warned growing up. Um, in New York City in particular, as we're riding the subway pre-pandemic, rush hour, we are such professionals, no matter if you live here long enough, you become a professional, of finding those two millimeters of eye space no one else is using, even though they're the next millimeter over, where you can look through the crowd and never catch someone's eye, never annoy anyone or get in their space and no one gets in yours for the entire ride. And that ride might be like an hour. And so we are so skilled at, even in a crowded space where we're physically actually around a lot of people to provide distance and kind of other the other. We live in a society that others the others, not just in terms of like, don't come into my emotional, physical space, but we other others by categorizing them because of their education, because of their appearance, because of their ethnicity, because of what they eat or don't eat. We, we have so many reasons, their religious belief, their political beliefs, why we other one another. And so this call to extend friendship affection to a stranger and other is really quite, will feel very countercultural. We're called to, in this instance of living this out of hospitality, is to make room and to invite the other in. We're opposed to not just create that space, setting the table or, you know, carving out some time, but we also need to take that extra step of offering it, finding that other that we can offer and invite into that space. And when they come, it is not merely just, okay, I'm done, I was hospitable today, but it's going that extra step of offering friendship affection. I want to be your friend. I don't, I'm not just being nice to you. I'm looking at you and welcoming you into my life kind of affection. Welcoming the stranger has been always a hallmark of God's people. And how beautiful. When we look at the Old Testament from the early times that God calls his people, he provides laws for how they are to engage the stranger. Let's look at Leviticus 19.33 where it says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. They were to treat the other as one of themselves. The New Testament church, the early church, was known for their hospitality so that both Christians and non-Christians both looked at the church and they just marveled at what in the world could be possessing these people that they would be so sacrificial, so giving, so loving. Hospitality was a trademark of the early church. In the early church, there was a lot of reason for practicing hospitality. Daily life did not have some of the things that we have today. You know, if they wanted to eat, there was no McDonald's that they could just pull into with their nice private space in their car and order their bag, pick up their custom-sized lunch bag from the window and never have to really deal with people. 
In order to eat, you had to go over to someone's house or invite people to your own and sit down at a table together, often with strangers. And in the church, that meant the Gentiles were eating with the Jews and they had to work out those dynamics. Oh, their customs are a little different. They want to eat something different. And, you know, they didn't all agree. There was the rich and the poor at that same table. As they shared the communion, they were eating with people very different from themselves. So hospitality constantly came to the forefront. There were no hotels in those times, so in order to travel to share the gospel, you couldn't just click, purchase a room, and travel there and just enter without hardly seeing anyone. But in order to go anywhere in the gospel, they had to count on the hospitality of total strangers, someone who would open their home, feed them, make room for them, the apostles, Jesus. They constantly relied on the hospitality of strangers. So you're in this lifestyle, you couldn't, you had to learn hospitality or run into it at some point. The third thing was, you know, online today, well, thankfully in this pandemic, we have online sources, but back then there was no virtual service to opt into. In order to worship together, the early church got together in people's homes. So that meant you were going to show up. It meant somebody was going to prepare their home to receive all these people to worship together and you'll be going over into the intimate space of another's home. There was no option to click. But today, we have McDonald's. We have drive throughs We have hotels that we can just click and order things online. We have virtual services. And it, our society is structured in such a way that it actually sets us up for individuality, isolation, independent living, and the opposite of hospitality. And so where we live today and how we live today, we will have to be intentional about extending, making room, offering space to a stranger. But that doesn't mean, all these conveniences doesn't mean that something has changed. There's strangers all around us, in the queue of the McDonald's behind us, the clerk who passes us the bag, you know, in the hotel that we are staying at, in the grocery store line we're at. There are strangers in our virtual online service that you're on Facebook right now watching this with strangers. <laughs> Say hello to a stranger on that chat space. You know, we have to be intentional in the world we live in today to make room for this stranger. So as we look at, you know, who is this stranger? I want to ask you a question. Who is it that you can think of that meets the, these descriptions? The stranger is someone in need, and that might be some practical resource like food, money, but it may be also a listening ear. It may be that coworker that just really is going through something and just really wants to chat and take a lot of space in that meeting. The stranger is someone that may need a word of encouragement, friendship. It can also be someone not just that you don't know, but someone that is other to you in their worldview, how they see life how they live, um, what they value, you know, who they believe and don't believe, what they believe or don't believe. Someone different in belief, behavior, appearance. Who is coming to mind? They're both inside and outside the community of faith. We have people who are isolated, who are grieving, who are in need both in our church right now as well as outside. There are strangers all around us, we just have to be intentional to notice them. So who is that stranger that you can think of? Where do you meet them? Where are they?
The second thing I want to share about hospitality is that hospitality extends God's welcome of us to others. It's almost like this picture of, a, you know, those long communal lunch tables. So we're sitting there with God, but what we're doing as we offer hospitality is we're just making that table longer and longer and longer, and it's like this huge cafeteria of, like, buzzing love and conversation. We were once strangers to God. Colossians 121 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We extend the welcome that we have first received from God. He is the one that has welcomed us. We were strangers, sinners so far from him, and yet he came near. And not only did he come near and make room at his table, but he wanted to call us friends and also his children. He came near to make us his that is intimacy, that kind of friendship, affection of hospitality that we are looking to follow in extending. Romans fifteen seven says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Matthew 25 talks about, Jesus is talking about how when we give a cup of water, when we visit someone in prison or the sick, that actually the least Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In giving to another and other, we are giving to Jesus. Practically in my life, I remember when I was in seminary, my mom had passed when I was a sophomore in high school, and she had wrestled with mental illness her, my whole life and, of knowing her. And because of how we grew up, our lives were so socially awkward. Though I was in seminary, and this was a number of years after her death, I was still so uncomfortable with meeting people and definitely having people in my own space. But as I went to seminary, this woman came in to the library as I was studying and started chatting me up. Her name was Hedgen. And she wanted to know more about the school, more about you know, whether it was worth you know, possibly enrolling. And as we got to talking, that led to coffee and lunch. And then the future, we just kind of stay connected and started to meet up here and there, usually outside for coffee. And this girl, she was my age. She was Korean-American as well. She was also passed at another church working with youth and, you know, just so busy constantly caring for her teachers and preaching to the adult congregation as well as to her students. So she had a full life. But I remember one time when we were setting up a time to hang out, she said, you know what? Why go someplace? Why don't you just come over to my place? And I looked at her like she was like a deer with horns because that was so not my norm. I would never invite people to my home. I'm so uncomfortable doing that. And here she was, similar in age and culture and how the work that we were doing, and she was inviting me into her space, and she offered to cook for me. I was a poor seminary student, home-cooked meal, you know, and I heard she was a good cook, so it was so welcoming. So I went over, and I still remember, I think, one of the first times that I went to her place. The door was like, it was easy to enter her space. It was just kind of open as I entered her kitchen, and she was just bustling around in there, throwing things out of the fridge. I mean, she's like a great chef, and you know it because she doesn't measure everything. It's just like a little bit of this, a dash of that, and somehow it comes out delicious. And I remember just entering that space and just going, wow, this woman is just letting me into her home. 
Like she is treating me right now and I f- like family. Like she's allowing me into the kitchen. She was like, go to the fridge and get yourself something to drink. We sat at the kitchen table and she was just going from the stove back to the table. It just felt like I was home with family. And that has happened with her again and again. I've been invited to countless meals with Hejin. And it ultimately transformed my discomfort because I actually wanted to be at the table. I wanted to be with my friend. I wanted to get to know her and her to know me, but I was still an other and I felt really uncomfortable. But the fact that she made room and made space and offered me in, invited me in, and not only that, fed me and then extended friendship towards me has really left a mark on my life. Today, she's one of my closest friends, and she does, I think she's watching today, and I have to say, Hejin, you have transformed my life. Because of you, I have learned to open up my home, and because of you, I have learned to cook for others. Not as good as you, but I'm still learning to cook for others. In hospitality, we extend God's table of welcome to one another, and the power of that is tremendous. We never know what one moment of hospitality may do for someone else. The third point I want to share is that hospitality is not easy. It can be quite costly. And when I say that, I want to ask you, what comes to mind? What is it that you are afraid of it costing you? Hospitality can cost us time, It can cost us our space from no longer being private and for ourselves. It can cost us resources. It can cost us the peace of our state of mind. It can cost us many things. When I say the word hospitality, and as we look at this call of Jesus to offer it as people who follow him, what is the cost that first comes to mind that you balk at? Hospitality is a call that is costly, that is to each of us, it just cannot be outsourced. We can't say, oh, the hospital is gonna take care of the sick and the hotel, well, you know, that's where you can stay. But it's a call to us to personally offer space. The early church was known for this and how appropriate in this time of living in a pandemic to look back at the Roman Empire when there were two great epidemics. One in 165 to 180, and the other one in 251 to 266. In the first epidemic, a quarter to a third of the population perished. That is a lot of people that passed. In the second epidemic, 5,000 people a day at the height of the epidemic were reported to have died in the city of Rome alone. Can you imagine the chaos at a time when hospitals were not what they are today, the level of care and nursing and medicine was not what it is today, what that must have been like living at that time. So countless people fled the cities, understandably. They were afraid, terrified for their lives. But Christians remained. They faced and turned towards the sick, sick that they did not know, who they had never encountered, but they remained to care for them. Sociologist Rodney Stark remarks that Christians in these Greco-Roman cities provided new norms and new kinds of social relationships to cities with the homeless, filled with the homeless, impoverished, and strangers. 
Christians offered an immediate basis for attachments. They provided friendship. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christians provided a new and expanded sense of family. They welcomed them in. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christians offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, Christians offered effective nursing services. This is different from just being kind, from being generous. Christian hospitality differs in that its motivation to follow Jesus even in the face of great cost. We're motivated by the Christ who came to give his life to welcome us in. Something encouraging in all this is that in our Christian faith, we know that death is never the final word. Death does not have victory. Jesus is Lord. And death, Jesus uses death to bring about life and abundant life. In the story in the Old Testament, there's a story about Abraham, and there's these three strangers that show up. And he sees these strangers, and, you know, hospitality is a big thing. And so he welcomes them, and he insists on making a delicious meal for them. In the New Testament, there's a story about two men on the road to Emmaus, and they meet a stranger who doesn't seem to know what's going on in the city where Jesus has just died. And so they are chatting, and they make room for him to walk along and go, you know, spend the time with them. In both of these stories, they end up hearing a word from God. Abraham, it ends up that these strangers are actually messengers of God. You know, come to share the great news that they are soon to have the child that God has promised. The road to Emmaus, who are those two men actually traveling with? They thought it was a stranger that they were just willing to walk alongside of, but it ended up being Jesus himself. And it is in the face of the stranger, in the presence of the stranger, that we actually often encounter God. God pulls us out of our ideas of God, and our, by taking us out of our comfort zone, shows us a different side of himself. I love this from Parker Palmer in his book, The Company of Strangers. He says how much a stranger is necessary in the Christian life. God persistently challenges conventional truth, he says, and regularly upsets the world's way of looking at things. It is no accident that this God is so often represented by the stranger. Where the world sees impossibility, God sees potential. Where the world sees comfort, God sees idolatry. Where the world sees insecurity, God sees occasions for faith. Where the world sees death, God proclaims life. And God uses the stranger to shake us from our conventional points of view to remove the scales of worldly assumptions from our eyes. God is a stranger to us, and it is at the risk of missing God's truth that we domesticate God, reduce God to the role of familiar friend. It is in being brought out of our comfort zone into the unfamiliar that we see that God is there too. And so then we see more of God. In the stranger, we see the face of God. So what does it look like to practice hospitality, this making room, offering this room, and extending this friendship to the stranger? Something I want to note in here, because there may be some resistance, is, well, exactly which stranger? And, you know, how do I know 
who to extend this hospitality to? Am I really supposed to welcome everybody because there are some people out who have very different beliefs and who seek to harm me or against me? I think Miroslav Volf in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, has a beautiful image that I turn to again and again as a reminder of what hospitality is. He talks about hospitality as an embrace, a hug. You know, and in a hug, what you do is the first move of a hug is that you open your arms. And so you take the initiation to open your arms, to invite the other, to make space. But a hug is not where then you just grab the person and you <laughs> pull them in. But a hug is you have just open your arms. The second st step of this embrace is that the other, the stranger, steps in, either chooses to receive this or to reject it. And if they choose to step in and receive this embrace, that's the second step. There's mutuality in hospitality. And then comes the embrace. They have accepted your offer, and so there's this extension of friendship, affection. And so hospitality, I just want to remind us, is that it is not just scattered and we have to force ourselves to love everyone and everything, but it is this openness of being willing to open and make room. But if the person rejects, or the person does not wish to enter in, that is fine. You know, it is for the person who wants to accept that offer. So today, as we look at what does it mean, what does it mean for you to extend hospitality today in this time of a global pandemic, social distancing? Some thoughts are, you know, to eliminate hurry. That's uh, one of the things in our rule of life as a church. And that is a beautiful thing because it slows us down. When we're rushing on our list of things to do, or I have to do this errand and then go to this appointment, we miss people. And to eliminate hurry means to slow down and practice being present with folks. It means slowing down the, also the internal rush and to just see people. So maybe the practice is the next time you're going out or the next time you're online at some virtual event, is to just notice the people in the room. Are they happy? Who's talking? Who's not? Um, what was it that they just shared? Oh, wow, that sounded heavier. You know, what was behind that? And being curious and slowing down to not listen to your own talk, but listen to what is going on in the space around. A second idea in this time could be to just think of, you know your schedule and your life the best. How can you carve out time to make room? Is it a virtual dinner? Is it a phone call? Is it staying on longer with a coworker on that meeting? You know, whatever it is, to think of one way, how can you create space and then offer it and then enter it with that friendship affection? And a third is to just pray. Pray for that heart. Don't just stay there because prayer is like passive. We need to move in it. But as you move, pray and ask for the heart to see the stranger. Two practices that I have um, taken on in my practice of hospitality, because for me, hospitality is not always easy. I am an introvert. I, I like my personal space. I love being in my cave. And so over the years, one practice has just been notice who I'm with and be present. That could be a total stranger, like as I'm checking out the groceries, noticing, oh man, they look tired or they dropped a little cranky comment because clearly they're not happy about something. And then just responding like, hey, how's your day going? 
and just making those little efforts to come out of my shell because left to myself, I will curve inward. And so it's engaging the people in my path. The second has been to be very intentional to be around people in need. Um, in our, where we live, it's so easy to be comfortable and all the more in this socially distanced time to stay just in my comfort zone and the comfort of my home. And so something that I'm so thankful that Nick and I are part of is a nonprofit called Do For One, where we partner with adults with disability to extend friendship, where they can be not just other, somebody out there that has these needs, but they become friends. And so our friend is Zella, um, a fantastic woman who's um, just really been so enriching. And for me, I have constantly and continually see Jesus in Zella, who I still have yet to know really well. Um, Zella is way older than I. She's, we don't know her age, but I think she may be in her upper 50s. And currently she lives alone because she has just recently lost her mother. And so I relate with her in that, um, in that she's living and she has lost her mother. Zella has a lot of just needs. A lot of things have to be done for her. And so one big need in this pandemic has been that she does not know technology. And so even as we're trying to connect with her and realizing she has limitations on going on the internet, on even knowing how to open her laptop, which she does have, but does not know how to use, just understanding, oh my goodness, I take all these things so much for granted. Jesus, I am so easily a consumer, and I just think I need more of this stuff, and I don't realize there are people without this. And she teaches me patience. She teaches me, when we celebrate her birthday, the joy of a cupcake. Now, I naturally have that, but something about being it, being in that moment with her was just that much more precious. She teaches me when she lights up and when she sees us, um, just that joy of another person, like that love of a stranger. And we are still strangers to her um, compared to all the other people that we know. But I want to close with this. Hospitality is kingdom living in which God meets the stranger through us and we meet God in the stranger. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, the God who did not keep us at a distance, but whose heart is always to welcome in. And Lord, we thank you for not keeping us distant, but dying for us, Jesus, so that we could be your friend and so that we could be your daughter, your son. Lord, it's incredible that you would want to be our friend, that you like us, that you love us. And Lord, we know that it's not just for us, but to be part of your family means then that we, our own heart grows and transforms so that we also want every other to be in the family of God. And so help us as a church, God, to extend and make room and space and extend friendship affection to the others within our church, to the others in our community, that we could truly be marked today, not just the early church, but the church today could be marked as being hospitable, as being a place where the stranger is a norm because we value the stranger. God, stretch us today, give us courage today, and help us to boldly follow you through cost, through death, into life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. I'd like us before, as we prepare to take communion, uh, to get prepared in your own home, to grab bread and maybe um, whatever, grape juice or wine or whatever you have in the home. I want to lead us in a time of reflection, a time of prayer. You know, what a wonderful message to lead us into communion because communion is about the space that God makes for us at the table, a table of welcome, a table of hospitality. God makes room for us. Amen. In spite of our sin, in spite of our addictions, in spite of the bad moments we have, our ups and our downs, our moral inconsistencies, God makes room for us at the table. And in so doing, invites us to make room for others at the table. Now, the table is a metaphor. It's, I recognize that we're not meeting as we used to, but it's a, making a room in your heart for others. And so I want to lead us in a moment of repentance, a time of confession, because the truth is, for many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us at some point, we have not been hospitable to everyone. We have shut out some people who think differently than we do, vote differently than we do, see the world differently than we do. And we've closed off not just our presence, we've closed off our hearts to them. And so may the Lord uh, lead us into repentance so that we would be the hospitable people God has called us to be. And so let me invite you just for, to take about 30 seconds or so, then we'll pray this prayer of confession on the screen, and then we'll receive communion. But where do you need to turn? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to open your heart towards others? Let's just pause for a moment. Let's pray this prayer of confession. We'll have it on the screen. Wherever you're at, just offer this with all your heart. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the people of God forgiven by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Let's all take and eat of this bread together.
He continues, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God freely forgiven by the hospitable mercy of Jesus Christ. Let's all receive the cup together. Lord, we thank you for these gifts of bread and the cup that remind us of your hospitality towards us, that in your grace and mercy and compassion, you make room for us at the table. Now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we do the same for others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, as we close... I want to remind you of a few things before I offer a final blessing to you. Uh, if Pastor Helen's message uh, blessed you in the chat section, she can check it out later. Maybe an encouraging word. How did this message help you today? What is God calling you to? How is this message challenging you? Feel free to put it in the chat section. And uh, it'd be great to see the ways that the Word of God is penetrating our hearts wherever we are watching this from. wanted to remind you, for those of you joining via the virtual watch parties, at the end of the service, there's going to be a discussion. So stay on for that discussion for a few minutes. For those of you who want prayer, maybe you just feel the need to receive prayer. Life has been very difficult. And you just want to pray with someone or have someone pray for you. On uh, our website and on the thread there on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, there's a link for a prayer ministry in, on, on Zoom. So feel free to click that link and receive the prayer that you need. In addition to that, for those of you who are watching and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, maybe you've thought, God is not, can't make room for me. If you look at my life, my failures, my troubles, my addictions, my, all the struggles that I have, God would not make room for me. And what I wanted to tell you and remind you is, no, God makes room for everyone. This is why Christ came, to die for us, to resurrect on our behalf, and to let us know that God has made room for us in Him. And so on the screen, you'll see there's a number there to text yes to Jesus. If you want someone to help you to take the next step in your faith, if you want to say yes to Christ, to follow him, to receive salvation, forgiveness of sins, feel free to text that to that phone number and one of our pastors will be in touch with you. And uh, we'd love to serve you along those ways. Next week, we're going to be uh, starting a new series on the book of Job, the book of Job. And that's going to kick off our Lenten season. So I look forward to preaching that uh, next Sunday. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the welcome offered to you by God and making room for others as well. May the Lord give you grace and compassion and endurance to say yes to others, 
to open your heart towards them, to pour out God's grace to them. And may you encounter the love of God in the stranger. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the hospitable name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. I'll see you next Sunday.